having that control next to you and then stretching that control out. If he can't do it right here next to my side, he's not gonna do it 80 yards out. So I'm not gonna set him up for failure. Keeping up with the Joneses is, a, is I think the biggest fault people have. Being out there with your dog and keeping up with your dog's speed of learning is the most important thing that you can do. A lot of these young dogs, I see guys, they'll try to get into the hunt test and field trials real quick. They're really worried about their dog running multiple marks at a young age when in reality, they should be worried about steadiness. They should be worried about that dog cooperating and working with them, good recall. Because once those little foundational parts are there, the growth of that dog also speeds up so quickly. Big thing is get these dogs out there learning what they need to learn and learning the skill that you're teaching them. But the most important thing is the moment they start getting it, get out there and have fun. When they're bred properly, that enjoyment level is their job. That's what they want to do. So get out there, have fun with them, and then start teaching it in the field. Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. I'm joined this week with my buddy Ben Baker of Griffin and How Gun Dogs. Ben, how you doing, buddy? Doing all right. How are you today? I'm living the dream as always. Uh, got, got a few things to cover here. You know, we, we've been talking about doing this for, for a little while. We didn't really know exactly when or where or what we wanted to cover, but uh, we circled back around recently. We got a, a a fun fall event that we're going to talk about here and here shortly, but also we are kind of exploring topics and ideas of what we might want to talk about. And uh, you pretty much just flat out told me that, that your uh, passion or, or what interests you is really the companion side first, the gun dog stuff yes, second. And so we're going to kind of steer this ship with more of a uh, companion than gun dog mentality on this. So uh, before, we, Excellent. before we jump into the meat and potatoes on that, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell everybody, you know, how somebody ends up with Griffin and Hal and, and running a kennel up north. Excellent. Yes, my name is Ben Baker, like you're saying, manager and kennel lead trainer up here at uh, Griffin Hal Gun Dog. We're located in northern New Jersey, so actually about 45 minutes outside of New York City. So we've got a big, big farm up here. We do pheasant, quail, chucker, um, and then it's a privately run farm. So we've got about 150 members out here. Um, long story how I ended up up here, but uh, went through a bunch of stuff where ended up training down in Texas um, for an organization down there known as Wild Rose. Um, and then ended up kind of doing my own little thing with Wild Rose and then ended up up here in New Jersey right around that COVID time period just because of family. I'm um, just trying to get a little closer to them. So ended up in the Northeast, um, met some really great people and and got into it up here. So, I mean, if you want to dive a little further into that, I'm happy to do that. Or we can kind of leave it there at the Cliff Note version. 
No, I mean, jump on into it in the details, because I think it's important for people to kind of realize the backstory, because, you know, you bring up Wild Rose. A lot of people listening to this podcast is probably familiar in some way, shape or form of the Wild Rose system. And I think, you know, usually when people kind of get into the Wild Rose program, it's it's really influential in uh, in their kind of the concepts or or at least their methods and how they do things. Yeah. So to dive, yeah, to dive into that, um, kind of the whole companion side of things and where that, that mentality of me comes from, um, I'm a big fan of the, of the philosophy and idea that most guys out there hunt, I mean, max 20 days a year. So the other odd days a year, you got to have a dog in the house with you. Um, all my dogs sleep in the bed with me. All my breeding females actually are in the bed. I mean, they're in the house, they're sleeping on couches, they're living the life. Um, same with the studs. We don't have one dog that's part of our kennel that's not um, in the house, if it's a dog that's with us long term, being part of our program, um, and the reason that kind of came from is back when I was a kid, I ran into some health problems, and my grandparents actually were big into sheep dogs, so they had border collies, um, and they had a little sheep farm. They had, they had horses as well, so I got into training horses with them, quarter horses and halflingers. So down doing that um, through my childhood, dogs were always a big thing for me. They brought me a lot of peace. So right around that college time frame, I didn't, I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. So I went to college, got a business degree like everybody else does. Um, and right around my junior year, I looked at the dog situation and I honestly was super fascinated into the herding dogs. So border collies struck my interest. So my first ever dog, I still have her. She's, shoot, she's probably 10, 11 right now. She's a court, she's a border collie and she's an excellent dog, um, big motor, but got in the border collie scene, ended up actually going out to the national finals out in uh, Vail, Colorado to watch a bunch of dogs work. Um, and from there, just kind of really set a fire in me to get involved in the dog community. Didn't know where. Again, the sheep world was kind of number one on my mind. Um, so then after college, I ended up with my business degree. Um, because of hunting always being a passion, I ended up actually moving down to South Texas where I worked on an exotic hunting ranch down there. That was 18,000 acres. Um, so not involved with dogs down there, but I actually found myself coming back around on the dogs. When one of my good buddies down there, his name's Patrick Rice. He runs, uh, he runs hog dogs and all that type of stuff. So, I mean, he's tra- tracking dogs, some really, really badass animals down there. Um, and he's working them every day. So I got involved with him and then we ended up with that show. We ended up going up to Dallas Safari club which is a big hunting convention held in Dallas every year. Um, and at Dallas Safari Club, one of the parts of this ranch, it's called Ox Ranch is where I used to work. Um, they have military tanks. So you can come down and you can shoot a live tank on their property and stuff like that. It's the only place in the U.S. you can do it. So long story short, we pull, we, we take a tank to these hunting shows with us because it drives tons of people to come over to our booth. So I was cruising into the, into the show expo in this military tank and uh, parked it in our booth. And we're sitting there, people are walking up, and Mike Stewart with Wild Rose walks up. Mm. And he says, hey, do you mind if I put my dog on your tank for a picture? And, of course, whatever. So he throws his dog up there, and and I duck hunted, but it's never – at that point, it never clicked for me what I wanted to do. So the moment he put that dog up there, I was just fascinated with the composure of that animal um, with a big crowd. Honestly, if you've ever met Mike, he's got a really great composure himself where he's a – kind of stoic in a way, you know, in an odd way. Um, and the dog really was focused on him. So 
long story short, and I believe, and I got his information. And the next day I reached out to him and I was like, Hey man, I got to learn this. I got to figure this out. This is, I think this is what I want to do. So he said very kindly, he's like, Hey man, if this is something you want to do, leave what you're doing and come on up here and start working for us. So I took a really small role at Wild Rose, Texas for about a year and a half, or I mean, making pennies on the dollar, working dogs as much as you can, starting at 4 a.m. because of the Texas heat and ending some days at noon, or you're starting at, you know, if it's in the winter, you're starting at normal hours and working all day. Did that for two, three years, uh, really grinded there. And then COVID hit, um, ended up doing some contract worth of Wild Rose, and then just wanted to get closer to family. So jumped up here to the Northeast where a family friend, very fortunate to know, um, had some property. So I was actually going to launch a Wild Rose up here and was talking with them. Um, but before that happened, great place of Hudson Farms where I'm at currently. They found me and um, they've been nothing but excellent. So I'm here now working dogs and we focus on mainly UK Labradors. Um, but we're also, the thing that I think a lot of people enjoy about our kennel is we're a group of trainers who uh, no way is the right way. Every dog learns differently. So whether some dogs need collars, some dogs don't need collars, some dogs use treats a little bit to get them going, whatever it may be, we want to meet each dog there. Um, the other thing we also want to make sure to do is we're not closed-minded on what that owner wants out of their dog companionship. So, I mean, we got guys who come in, again, they hunt 10 days a year. That dog better be great in the house. So we really try to work with that dog's natural ability and kind of meet where the owner wants their dog to take um, and go. So that that dog's, you know, ready to hunt every year with the family, the kids, and, you know, might not be your perfect field trial animal. That's not what you need right there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a big full circle on how we ended up here. Yeah, man. I, and there's so much to unpack there. I, I appreciate the, the even the business degree reference. You sound like me. It's like, like everybody, go get a business degree and then it's just kind of, yep. it's collecting dust somewhere I, I couldn't even tell you where mine is to be honest i never uh, got i have a diploma i never even got it ordered to be dude, honest with you, it, it, it's I like, could, whatever yeah i couldn't even tell you where it was it's just like you know why'd you get some somebody be like why'd you get a business degree i'm like because that's what i was told to do growing up <laughs> right yep, exactly exactly and it's it's a good thing to have i've learned a lot through that and i mean college taught teaches you a lot so it's good to have but at the same point i mean um with dog training, at least getting boots on the ground, I tell everybody who reaches out and they're kind of saying, Hey man, what do I need to do? Or how do I get more involved with training? Just get your hands on dogs. Yeah. Um, as many dogs as you can, different dogs, different breeds. Um, because it's fun to train point dogs. It's a lot of fun, man. That passion of mine is growing, but it's also really, really fun to kind of train that flushing and the retriever, that type of thing. Well, and, and you, it, it's funny that you kind of break it out that way between pointers and flushers. And, and I agree with you, obviously, if you have uh, more of an interest or maybe you're a single dog or even multiple dog and you only own pointing dogs, you know, yeah, you're going to focus in on pointing, but, but what I've come to realize, and this kind of goes right into your background is, is like dog training is dog training, right? The principles mm -hmm. and the concepts are the same regardless if you're training that sheep dog or the pointing dog or the bomb dog or the detection dog what what have you like dogs are still dogs and so i would say just get your hands on dogs like i don't care if you're if your mom or grandma has a little shih tzu that just needs some little yep. work in, inside the house like Amen. just just reps with that leash and reps with time and time spent with dogs like you're going to be better off for it regardless if it's in your direct uh, path or, or specific interest. 
And even horse trainers, I mean, so yeah. I, I referenced training horses, quarter horse and halflingers. That was huge because that's the same. Horses and dogs, their minds are very, very, very similar. Some of the best dog trainers I've ever met started as horse trainers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also a really cool thing to see because a lot of people getting into it, if they're horse people, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty easy world to dive into when it comes to conditioning and, and kind of setting animals up for success where they're just getting into a habitual form of doing different exercises. Yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, the horses, but even, even the sheep dogs, you know, I did an episode yeah. on, on herding dogs. Gosh, it was, it was years ago. I think, uh, Fonzie Basson, if I said it correctly, I had him on and, uh, you know, it, I tell everybody, you know, we talk about, especially in the upland side, like we love dogs that will stretch that horizon, but still work with oh, us yeah. that, that, you know, connected disconnection almost. Uh, yes, absolutely. It's like, if you haven't seen the herding dogs and the sheep dogs really do that, I mean, they are way out there and, and oh, yeah. somebody like Fonzie, out of sight, out of sight and, and they're still cooperating and responding and you're steering you're, you're literally steering that dog with a whistle and is talking to Fonzie. Like he does, he doesn't even use an e-collar and, and his whole, yep. nope. his whole program is teach it right here at your feet before going out distance erodes control. If you can't do it at your feet, you can't do it, do it far out. And, and it's a perfect example of when you need that high level of cooperation, much more so than I would argue even with us and, and what we love to do with the pointing dogs. I mean, literally their entire job is to steer those sheep into a gate that's, you know, a half a mile away in a field. Uh, yeah. there, there's a, there's so much applicability that you can learn through that, uh, in my opinion. There absolutely is. And I mean, the whistle work when it comes to retrieving dogs is huge. That control aspect. I do a lot of work with dogs there with the, with the flushing dogs and retrievers. Um, but the, even with the pointers, I mean, they're out of sight, out of mind. So a lot of guys up in our area, they're woodcock hunters, grouse hunters. So they want a pretty close work in pointing dog. They're looking for their dream dog works between eight or excuse me, 40 to 80 yards in front of them where that dog's always in sight. So even just having that, again, that controlled, um, aspect, but yet also having that little bit of freedom in that dog where they know they can get out there and punch out there and still work independently. That's a really important thing. So when we're even training pointers up here, um, to get back to the obedience side of the conversation with our pointing dogs, a lot of our dogs up till about six months, seven months, that dog is training right next to us. Um, our birds are close. Our points are close. Our flushes are close because we want that dog to really to just kind of getting the idea that we're going to be around, um, to getting the idea that the birds are somewhat close to us versus busting out there too far. Cause we're not out in Kansas where they've got massive fields to work. We're in pines where you lose sight within 20 yards. So some of these older guys who are walking a little slower. They want that dog to stay within range. Um, so really that obedience side of things, when you start forming it at a puppy, um, retrievers and pointers, herding dogs, whatever it may be, um, you really start seeing that that balance, that fine line of confidence in the field where they're doing it independently, but yet also somewhat looking back for you to make sure that you're still there because it's a team activity. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and when we talk about training dogs and then more specifically, you know, here lately I've been doing some episodes and, and talking to people uh, with concepts such as like training and drive and, and 
And really mm-hmm. what we're talking about is a dog that's enthusiastically involved in its job. It loves to do what it's do. You know, we can, as trainers, manipulate these dogs and get them to do whatever we want them to do, essentially. The question is, you can you you and I have both seen it to where you see a dog that he's going through the motions, but he doesn't really want to do that. And, yes. And so what you just said is like up in your neck of the woods, and this is completely different. If you you live out west in Idaho or Montana, yep. this isn't going to apply to you. But, you know, we talk about how it's easier to bring a dog in than it is to push them out. And so if you have somebody that very clearly they don't care about that horizon stretcher and they just want a dog 50 to 75 yards in, that's ultimately how you're going to rein that dog in is where they start associating what drives them, which is the bird and the hunt. They start associating you every time that there's, there's that bird that's involved in the equation. Absolutely. And if you start, like kind of I was saying, where you start with planting those birds close as well, um, when it comes to flushes and when it comes to the pointing dogs, flushers, that's going to keep them hunting really close, really tight. Pointing dogs, when I do it as a puppy, again, there are days where, I mean, I walk into a field within 10 to 15 yards, I have a bird planted. And the reason I do that is just like you kind of said in the beginning is having that control next to you and then stretching that control out. So if he can't do it right here next to my side, he's not going to do it 80 yards out. So I'm not going to set him up for failure and putting a bird far out there. Um, so I'll hit a first bird real quick, get him locked up. Then he starts hunting really close to me because in his little brain, he's thinking, man, every time I'm finding something, it's right at my, right at this guy's feet, you know, or at least around him. And then as that confidence grows to that first season, 20 yards gets tacked on, you know, 30 yards gets tacked on and that natural ability just pushes them out. So we do a lot of tight training. Um, and again, that comes from obedience because when you're doing heel work, we teach all of our pointing dogs heel right now. Um, I think that's a really important quality that a lot of guys leave out um, because traveling field to field, going into the field, going back to the truck, going through town again. If you're not someone who's hunting every day, man, people are impressed when they see a setter walk right next to you and then you tap them on the head and boom, they're off to the races. So again, back to the obedience, we find that to be so, so, so core of our values, core of uh, a great hunting dog. Um, and we could of course keep on diving into that, but that's just kind of, that's how we start our puppies and our young dogs to kind of, um, keep them close, keep them hunting with us and then kind of keep on building that obedience side of things. Cause until they're about eight months, we're really hammering that out, really hammering that out from home obedience and into the field. Well, let, let's stick on this, uh, for a minute, because I think that there's some importance here to where we do, I do lump dog training in as just dog training as, as I spoke about earlier, but at the same time, like the end goal matters and what these, the genetics and the lines that we get these dogs matter. So when we start talking about pointers versus flushers, while the way they learn and the way we may teach them is, is ultimately the same, we do have to keep involved in the discussion at least we have to acknowledge that their purpose is completely different so if we go yes and we we put the level of obedience that you might necessarily get away with on a flushing dog and we start as early or as severe on a pointing dog that might start taking some of the drive or some of the yep. search or hunt away from the pointing dog so you know when we talk about the importance of obedience and it is important you have to recognize that you know, you can sit here and fix it over here, but you know, the, the control that you implement over here might leak out and, and expose something else later that you don't want and, and take something away from that overall finished picture. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a great point because you definitely don't want to over obedience on some dogs. Cause I mean, again, meeting that dog where they're at some dogs, we have some setters that come in um, or labs. I mean, some of the labs are just stir crazy and they want to hammer They want to go after whatever they can chase after. So that dog, we're really pulling into our side and making him lock in with us. But just like you were saying with the pointing dogs, with the younger dogs, um, you want to let them get out there. You want to let them still hunt around. So we do stuff where we, I call them adventure walks where I'll take a lot of young dogs on adventure walks where that dog's on heel for five minutes. And then we hit a really fun little grass area that they can kind of go explore, tap them on the head and let them go do that. Um, and I build their confidence there and let them kind of understand that on off switch of hunt, walk with me, hunt, walk with me. Um, and then when we get a little bit older, you know, again, that time and that uh, freedom stretches because they have more and more confidence um, and more and more ability to work with me, quite frankly. Um, so we do those adventure walks pretty heavily for puppies um, to build that confidence working that on off switch, just like you're talking about. Yeah. And, and I'm real quick. I try and and remind the listeners and anybody that reaches out and asks me questions to so keep that stuff in mind to where, you know, yep. so many of us, especially first time dog owners, we might get that that German short hair or pointer or, or just, a, you know, a pointing dog of pick your breed. And they all we always feel like we aren't doing something like it's too late. We should be doing this. Oh my God. Like I've ruined my dog because I didn't do that. And very often it's, it's, it's derived from trying to keep up with the Joneses. You see these people on social media saying, you know, somebody just got a lab, seven week old lab and Oh look, it's already, you know, waiting, waiting to be released to go get its dog food. And, and it's just like, don't a, don't get caught up in comparing your dog to anybody else's dog to begin with, but then also look at the context of it to where they are building a different machine than what we are building. Like we we are building a sports car while they are building a Jeep, right? You know, it's, you know, that they're ultimately trying to create that, that dog that essentially they're playing pool or billiards with dogs out in these trial games to where with pointing and upland dogs we need that independence for that hunt so how do we get the obedient companion without taking away from that so yeah and i think that's a really important little thing you said there because keeping up with the joneses is is i think the biggest fault people have um being out there with your dog and keeping up with your dog's speed of learning is the most important thing that you can do. A lot of these young dogs, I see guys, they'll try to get into hunt tests and field trials real quick, which is fine. That's an awesome activity to do. I do some of it in the summer, keep dogs tuned up. I don't ride my whole kennel off of that. I, I definitely don't. I see a bunch of merit in it, but I also see where it can create some faults because you're rushing through things at times. So, a lot of guys, I mean, they're they're really worried about their dog running multiple marks at a young age, all that stuff, when in reality they should be worried about at a year old with a dog with great natural ability who's ready to hunt, wants to hunt. They should be worried about steadiness. They should be worried about that dog cooperating and working with them, good recall, um, because once those little foundational parts are there, the growth of that dog also speeds up so quickly. So quickly, because there's a lot of guys will be like, man, it's been two months. I'm just not seeing the progress I want to see. And then month three, four hits and they're, they just jump two, three months. Cause that dog is ready to go now, you know, it's set up for success. Um, it's understanding it's wanting to learn and they're meeting that dog's pace and that dog's kind of setting that role for them. Um, and then they're just rocking and rolling with the dog. Yeah. And, and it's a big reason why 
when when I'm trying to advise people on obedience is is maintain the balance, right? Yeah. Especially on pointing dogs, like I don't want to do a lot of obedience or requirements of bringing that dog in or or keeping it near me. But sure. to your point, that we live with our dogs, right? They're inside the house. Yep. We're going out in public. We, you know, well-behaved dogs and well-mannered dogs get to have a lot more fun in life and go more places with us. So there, there is a balance. So like I tell everybody, when you start doing the obedience and you're running down that checklist, you know, recall, crate, heal, place, all that stuff. Yep. I try and do the balance to where I'm never doing the same action two commands in a row that I'm teaching. So like I will do That's one awesome. that, that sends the dog away from me. The next one will be bringing a dog back into me. The next one will be stay here. And then, you know, the next command sending them away. And, and it more or less, it, it doesn't get the dog comfortable to where if you get a young dog and you just do recall, then you do heal, yep. then you do whoa those three dog, you know, commands can be broken out over a month with these young dogs. And then you just took a pointing dog and you just required and corrected and, and built a dog that it only associates pressure off or reward or punishment with having to be around you. So you're naturally taking away some of that, that desire to hunt and, and expand. Yes, out. sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. I tell all of the trainers out here, big thing is get these dogs out there learning what they need to learn and learning the skill that you're teaching them but the most important thing is then get out there and have fun the moment they start getting it get out there and have fun um because that's the biggest thing for these dogs let them enjoy what they're doing because when they're bred properly that enjoyment level is their job that's what they want to do so get out there have fun with them and then start teaching it in the field because if you can do what you're saying there where you have that foundation part in the backyard done Five different places is also our goal. That's kind of a, a, a key thing for us. Um, five to six locations, we like to take the dog around. If they can do it five places perfectly, we move on, and that skill's then taught. But he's got to be able to do it five times perfectly in five different locations. Um, so once they get that, then we get out in the field again and have fun, start teaching them out there on birds. But we still I, – I really like to have that level of control out there Um so we really still hammer that obedience at a young age, and then we allow their ability and their confidence to push them out further and further, yeah. um, which is just a little difference on how we train, you know, and that's kind of the cool thing, um, having these conversations, just kind of figuring out and learning from different guys. Absolutely. I, I, I say it almost every week. I'm after everybody's cheat codes. There's something to to learn and, and steal from everybody. And, and honestly, when I get the chance to talk to the quote unquote legends in this space and the people that have really kind of performed at a high level, be it trialing or testing, uh, they're always curious. They're always asking questions. They're always after how everybody else does it, whether they want to implement it or not. That they're how do they do that? And more importantly, why are they doing it that way? Amen. That's that's it's huge. And I mean, finding people who will share those little things with you are, is really big. The guy down in Texas who trained me, Guy Billups, um, he was he works for Mike Stewart, he's a franchise owner of Wild Rose, Texas. He really, really, really taught me to reach out to people because he did a lot of teaching for us, but then he also did a really good job of kind of letting us fail and learn on our own, um, which taught me to reach out to different people. So Finding different kennels. I mean, like I was saying earlier, there's no potion. There's no right way to do this. There's so many different methods. Um, and finding guys who are who are okay with that mentality where it's, hey, man, I, I, I need help. And you have a trainer down in Texas. You got a trainer in Montana. And they, they're in different environments. And they might have some little trick that you don't know. 
because you've never hunted out there or you've never been in this certain circumstance. Um, so just having different people you can call on is huge for anybody, huge for anybody, especially in our little world. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, case in point, you know, your background with the wild rose method, you know, I have the wild rose way book back behind oh, yeah. me currently. And, uh, it's funny, you know, I've, I've never really owned a, a single, uh, I've never owned a retriever or flusher. Right? Sure. And so when you look at something like the wild rose way, they're, they're not talking a lot of, you know, field steadiness and pointers in there, but nope. you read it. And this is what I took away from it is there are certain drills that I'm using with my versatile dogs and retrieving in there that are directly applicable to what I'm trying to build in these other dogs. So if, if you get into this world and you only read what is directly applicable that, you know, if it doesn't say pointing dogs on the cover and you don't read it, yeah. You're yep. living, leaving a lot of the meat on the bone when it comes to this dog training thing. And this is something that over the years, obviously, I have a wide array of topics or guests throughout the, the catalog of this podcast. That's what really kind of keeps me interested is is expanding beyond just the normal, you know, pigeonholed echo chambers of each type of dog, because while the 90% of the wild rose way is just, it doesn't really apply to what I, I need. There's things that I picked up in that book that I still use now. And part of the foundation of my duck search, the way that I yes. go about training duck search, right? I think he calls it hunt or something like that. Lost. Uh, lost. lost. There, yeah, the lost what? in there. And it's just like there are certain tools that you can pick off from them that you can apply. And then, you know, if you ever get a flushing dog, cool. Then you, you have that whole method. But there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't necessarily even agree with. But, you know, I, I have it in my toolbox. So I, a lot of people, it's kind of funny because of me coming from the waters background, a lot of people pigeonhole me into that mentality of, you know, no collar, um, true right. blue. I live and die by that book. And that's <laughs> not, it's not the truth because in reality, um, I've been trying to find, I mean, gun dog it yourself. I told you this when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, I love that name of the podcast because coming out of Texas up here. I had to figure a lot out on my own. I mean, I'm, I'm a 28 year old guy making this happen. Um, learning a ton. I mean, I've gotten pretty, uh, I don't like to brag, but I've gotten pretty deadly with the dogs. I mean, I'm, I can train a damn good dog. So it's been fun because I've taken the wild rose method, um, which is honestly the core, of a lot of my training, but then I've gone and hunted with different guys in Kansas. I've gone and hunted with buddies down in Texas where I came from, um, training down there. I've gone and hunted with different guides. I've gone and hunted with different trainers. I'm a firm believer that I think a lot of people need to put an e-collar on a dog, especially when you're out there hunting. It's a great little fire extinguisher to have. You never know who you're hunting with. You never know who's going to show up. You never know what's going to happen. It's a great tool to have. Now, I'm also a firm believer I would not train with one in the field for a retriever. All pointing dogs I would, but for retrievers, I wouldn't in the field when it comes to just training because – I think building the conditioning, setting them up for success is what you need to do, and that's all you need to do. And that e-collar, just kind of that thing you put on when you're going out there in the field, that's just that little extra juice, and it's also that little extra reminder for them. Um, so there's no real perfect method kind of back to that whole thing where the Wild Rose way, I mean, I train every day that method, but I put in my own little increments there. Um, for instance, within their obedience program and within our obedience program, um, I think they. I think a lot of trainers leave a lot of transportation things out. I mean, there's a lot of people now. They fly in with dogs, 
riding with dogs on public transportation. That dog's got to learn how to sit there steady right between your legs. So, I mean, even pointing dogs, we're working on that type of stuff with them because that's so important. Um, but then how you and I connected, actually, I was looking for people to teach me more and more about pointing dogs because I bought a – my first ever pointing dog is – she's a really, really amazing dog. She qualified for national championships a couple of years ago for the walking trials um, with a trainer named Gary Malzone. Great guy. He's taught me quite a bit. So he's a big walking trainer. I bought her off him, finished. She knew more than I knew. One of those dogs that, I mean, that stopped. I mean, she's steady, wing, flush, fall, everything. Birds are flying in the field. She stops. Like, she's teaching me things out in the field. So I reached out to actually Standing Stone Kennels after talking with Gary because I up here we enjoy, we're part of our Hudson Farms and Griffin and Howe, we have the ability because of our facilities to host different speakers, different seminars. So every year our goal is to get one to two different speakers up here. Um, so last year I said, you know, I want to learn a little bit too. So let's get Standing Stone up here. So we had Ethan and Kat come up. Um, and I mean, just within a weekend, the things that they showed me um, was huge. I mean, all of the participants got so much out of it, but so did I. I'm the trainer. You know what I mean? I'm the one who everybody's like, he's got it figured out. I got it figured out to a point. Absolutely. I mean, we've all got it figured out to a point when it comes to guys like you and myself, professional trainers. But I think it's really important too to find trainers that are just open-minded um, and are willing to say, we got to figure this out versus I know what's going on because yeah. we don't always know what's going on. So having a bunch of people in your pocket is always a great thing to have. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out uplandguncompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. I mean, obviously, you know, we tell a, a lot, everybody really starting out is like the safest way is to pick a program or a method and stick to yep. it because you don't even know which questions to really ask or, or what you're looking for, right? You're just kind of figuring it out. So that that is really the safest option is to do mm -hmm. that, but continue asking why, why does this work? Why do yep. they do it this way? And then don't just shy away or turn a blind eye or close your ears off to how other people are doing it because it's amazing how many things you can just plug and play from other things. If you really understand conceptually the why, yes. how the dogs learn on this stuff. And you can, I mean, even the best trainers that I speak to on a regular basis, they have, they're more or less path. They have their step-by-step yep. -step program, but they're hesitant to share it with everybody because even they have to, depending on the dog, maybe this isn't connecting. I got to, you know, veer away from how I typically do things and do things a completely different way for this one step. And then we'll come back to it. And that's why like so many people are like, I don't understand. Like, why can't I just get a step-by-step -step program? Because every dog and every yep. situation is different. And so like once you actually accept that and you understand that, it's like focus on the principles, focus on the why, 
And then that's why I'm continuously every year trying to go to different clinics and seminars. And I yes. speak, and I, I'm fortunate enough to I sit in the classroom week in, week out with whoever's on the on the episode. And that's why I feel like I've learned exponentially more. I could I, I it's not even an argument. I, it's it's 100 percent truth here to where like my knowledge base and the information in my head when it comes to dog training far exceeds my actual hands on experience. And I'm trying Amen. to catch up with putting actual hands on the dogs while other people I know, the vast majority of people probably touch more dogs, but they don't even have the knowledge to really back up what they're actually doing. And I think there is a healthy balance in this. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. When I, when I was telling actually some other trainers that I was hosting other trainers coming up here to do speaking classes and I got looks doing that because oh, yeah. like, you're going to bring people up there because you're going to lose clients in their mind. But in reality, you're not. You're not at all. You're actually just going to gain a bunch of fa fans, a bunch of friends, um, because when you build a little community where everybody's kind of got each other's back, um, you're all there for each other. I mean, we I, everybody that comes through our program gets my cell number, just the way it is. Um, and when they take their dog home, we tell them, "Hey, if you got a problem, give us a call." Um, quite frankly, we 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 won't even charge them normally to come back out. I mean, if they're having little problems, because. We're here for them. It's community. It's a big aspect of dog training. Um, and building that camaraderie is huge. So getting, again, different speakers up here. We had Wild Rose. They came up the first year. We had Standing Stone Kennels. Um, we're talking with with yourself. We're talking with some other big kennels about coming up here. Um, mainly, again, for our clients and our people to learn. But also kind of back to that, we're all people. We're all, we're all figuring it out. And it's also for myself. You know, I just want to make sure that People put trainers on pedestals when in reality we know what we're doing, but we all got to keep learning. So I just want to make sure that's kind of a, a big part of this conversation because this whole companionship side of things, um, there's again, there's no right way. There's tons of different ways to do it. Um, like you were saying about your pointing dogs, how you like to push them out there and give them a little more freedom. I really like to kind of rein them in at a young age because, again, with our breeding and our focus, we push them out a little bit later of an age to get them hunting a little closer. Um and kind of back to that little genetic conversation with the balance of having a great dog in the house. When it comes to up at our kennel, we try to do honestly one to one to three breedings a year, maybe two. I mean, I'm, I don't enjoy doing tons of breedings because the breedings we do, we want to be so confident in. Um, and we want, again, these dogs live in our homes. Um, they're kind of part of our families. Each one of our trainers actually has one of the mama dogs in their house. So we try to really build a phenomenal program based off um, our different requirements. We'll never breed a dog that growls. We'll never breed a dog that can't sit still in a house. We'll never breed um, a dog that can't be run by, I mean, a female that can't be run by a kid. Um, there's a lot of different little parameters that other kennels don't have that we focus on to kind of add that companionship aspect in. Now, with that said, our dogs got big motors for sure, but they have that off switch again where I walk in the front of the house after hunting pheasants in the morning and ducks in the afternoon out here guiding. My dogs jump on the couch and they're asleep on the couch for the rest of the day and they don't move. And that's, to me, that is one of the best parts about it because um, back to earlier in the conversation, uh, growing up, I had some health problems. So having a dog there, um, and I think a lot of people go through this, having a dog there, regardless of what's going on in life is is huge. And then having a dog that you can look at that morning, the next morning and say, you know, yesterday was crappy. Let's get out there and chase some birds. And that right there is 
is I think a huge selling point to a lot of people because having a dog that having a companion that you can look at and do that with is, is just a huge thing for anybody. A hundred percent. And you know, it, it's, it's just trying to figure out a way to spend time with your dogs and, and whether that yep. is in the field or in the house, you know, I've said it a number of times on this show, you said it to, to lead this episode off is like it or not, you can, you can get these dogs and, and, out of a motivation to go hunt that could be your first love that could be your passion at the end of the day no matter how much you want to hunt there is still a hunting season and there's still so many daylight hours a day within that hunting season to where I spent a lot of time this year hunting and on the road hunting and when I got back I started kind of adding up the time and it's like all right you take the drive time out of here you take the social network or you got to work here, you got family here. And it's just like, you know, while I spent, you know, five weeks out between September and October on the road, I still did not have that much hunting time accrued with each individual dog on that. As much as we think that it's like, oh man, I spent a lot of time hunting at the end of the day, especially dog by dog basis. It really wasn't that much. I spent vastly much more time even on the road with them in the camper with me or in the truck yep. or in a hotel or like this right here to where day in, day out, I have to work. I'm recording podcasts. I'm editing. I'm sitting at that computer screen, for, uh, you know, unbearably long. My dogs are in here with me every time. Yep. I mean, it's just like we were talking before we got on here. I have all three of my pointing dog breeds here in the room with me while we record this podcast. And, Every now and then, you know, the one will get up and scratch its collar. It'll act like a dog. It'll bring, you know, it it wants to act like a dog, but they are perfectly fine. Just, just lazing about. And and because they know here in a little bit, we're going to go on that fun run here in a little bit. We're going to go expend some energy. We're going to go train, whether it's, you know, the obstacle course, whether that's, I go plant birds, whatever they are fine. And they have the off switch because they know later on, I'm going to go flip that on switch and we're going to yep. go have some fun. That's it. And I mean, we can I just like you're like, I think you do as well. Um, we, at, at, every year we have a spreadsheet running every bird that's picked up by each dog. We, we tally which one got it, how many birds they got on that hunt. And at the end of every season we look and we say, all right, for instance, one of my dogs names is Daisy. Daisy got 600 birds this year. Sammy got 500. And it's really kind of cool to go down through that list and you see how many birds these dogs picked up. And then people walk into your house who might not see you as, well, they see you as a hunter, but they not might not hunt with you. You know what I mean? And they walk in just like if someone walked into your podcast right now and they'd say, holy crap, these dogs are just hanging out right there. How cool is that? And we focus so heavily. I think one of the best skills for any dog to have, even pointing dogs, um, is place. A good little spot in the house where they can just go and tuck themselves in be there that's kind of their couch that's a little safe spot um i use it in the field coming out of the truck tailgate of the truck that's a place um i'll use it on a place board when i'm teaching young pointing dogs getting them to whoa stand on a place board same concept um in the house i will let them lay down out in the field when i'm teaching whoa absolutely not but when we're in the house i want that to be a comfortable spot so place training is huge people coming in the house out of the house dinner time um, getting that dog in a little consistent location where they're just, you know, they're happy. That's, that's a huge little skill to have. So we focus heavy on that again from about up to about eight months of age. Um, and a lot of our puppies, I mean, 
I'll send dogs home. I had a client reach out to us the other week because he was like, I just went to the grocery store, forgot about my dog on place and came back. And he's sitting there, <laughs> came in the house and that tail's wagging. And you're like, heck yeah. Um, and that, I think, to him was more impressive than the hunting, you know, because his dog, he knows his dog's got that on switch and he knows his dog's ready to hunt. He's hunted over so many times. But just having that ability to also have that companion in the house, um, we get a lot of a lot of people coming back just because of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I, and the other other real cool thing. Sorry, not to cut you off. Other real cool thing that we try to do too is on that last month of each dog in our program, each one of our trainers will actually take a dog home. Um, so for those final two weeks to kind of get that dog back in the swing of the house because that's such a big part of our program, that dog will come live in my house for two weeks. So come live in my other trainer, Don or Sarah or Erica. They'll live in their homes. Um, and they'll train them into that house etiquette and then we'll pass them back out, um, and get them back out there, which is a pretty rare thing for kennels to do. I think nowadays. Yeah. Well, and I mean that, that's, that's kind of where I was going anyway, is that there are, there seems to be a rising number. I mean, not drastically, but there are some that I'm noticing more and more of trainers that take less dogs but they focus on the companion to where it's like they're going to get the field training, they're going to get the obedience training and everything, but they're also getting the inside-the-house training, the actual companionship. So if you're sitting here and it's like you got a dog, you know either A, you're not interested. If you don't have an interest in training the dog, then you know even your your desire to save money <laughs> is not enough yeah, yeah, yeah. to overcome your lack of interest in, in learning how to train these dogs. So do right by the dog and go find somebody that does have that interest, that does know yes. what they're doing, because it, it starts with the interest. If you don't have the interest, you're not going to figure out how to do this the right way. You're just not. But go find when you start looking at pro trainers to where you know, you may have the in-the-house in stuff and you just want the field stuff. So a typical, you know, just board and train trainer, they may they may be fine. They may just go put them in the kennel. They'll cycle them through their method in the field and, and whatnot. But if you're looking for that really healthy, just content dog that lives in, in a house, they'll go turn it, turn on the jets in the field. Find the, the trainers that take four or five, maybe six dogs a month as yes. opposed to 15 or 20 that what you just said is going to bring that dog in their house because that trainer is not going to bring a crackhead in their house to Amen. live with them that they're taking your money to produce. Like they, they, they want to turn off their, their brains as well. Uh, and so they have a vested interest. They have skin in the game of actually keeping your dogs off switch, uh, either there or just improving it. That's it's yeah, that's totally right. Another big thing I think as well, I've got some guys that I mean, having a dog in a smaller program um, where, where guys are a little more focused on your dog is definitely an awesome thing. Some with that said, though, some guys like you were saying who go through the program where dogs kind of a normal board and train, they go in the truck, they go in the trailer, they hop out, they work in the field. Some people, that's what they want. And that's great. You know what I mean? And that's perfect. That matches their lifestyle. But I really do find the importance of putting the dog in the house. I also find a huge importance in being around your dog when it's gone through training. So with every dog, we give owners a little timetable when they come. We try to be very, very honest in the fact that, again, every dog's different. We don't know the exact timeline. But when it comes to your dog, we like to have the owner out multiple times during their dog's training program because we found that normally that first time the owner comes out, the dog's a little stir-crazy. Very excited to see mom and dad. Second, third visit, 
they're starting to understand that you guys know what's going on. You guys kind of understand what's going on. It makes that transition back to you when they are eventually done with training much easier. What it also does, it allows you to kind of see the program going through. So when you get home, you can kind of say, okay, I saw what he did in the field. I saw where he made a little mistake. I saw what Ben did. I saw what trainer did, whoever that may be. I can fix that too at home, which is a really, really important thing because I've had so many people come pick up dogs or they call me and say, I need a dog, get, need a dog to get trained. It's already been trained. I just don't know what I'm doing. So we try to really keep that owner involved the whole way through. But there's even time periods though where the owner can't come out, for instance, hold conditioning, force fetch. Um, that's a time period we don't want the owner around because it's normally not a, too much of a fun time period for the dog. Once the dog's out of it, then the owner's super elated and the dog's elated. They're back having fun um, going through the process. But also finding a trainer that you can kind of walk along with through a program with your dog, kind of like you're saying, so you can follow along with an exact program. So I never recommend, I mean, I had a guy, Oklahoma, I think he was from, he was a goose guide and he reached out looking for a lab. And I told him, I said, I mean, you're more than welcome to send a dog up here, but I would be, I would recommend you keep, find a good guy down there. Kind of like what we're saying, six, eight dogs in the house, stay close to your dog so that as your dog's learning, you can go to your dog and you can go checkups. You can check on what's going on, learn from that guy. Cause then you're not having that breakdown of whisper down the lane when that dog gets home and things are going out the window. Yeah. And so I mean, staying close and keep it in the house. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, especially if you, if you don't have that buy-in from the owner, that, that, that owner that what, what I was just referencing earlier, if they don't have the desire or interest to learn how to do this, they're not involved or, or they don't have skin in the game and in, in the process those are the people that are going to be sending that dog off to a trainer every single year just to quote unquote knock yep. the rust off of them, you know, tune ups. Yeah. We, we need a quick tune up. And it's just like, if you just, you don't even have to grow off of, of where, you know, you get your dog back from a trainer. You don't have to grow that dog's skill level or teach them anything new. You just don't have to screw it up. And it's amazing how some people kind of misconstrue yeah. <laughs> just living with a dog as dog training. It's like, no, once you set the standard and you build it up to there, it's really just maintaining the standard. And, yep. you know, and then conversely, if we are talking about training the dogs, you know, we put so much emphasis, especially in the pointing dog world, to where we train it in the short grass before going in the tall grass. You know, we're talking about it at, at, at the start of all this is distance erodes control. Well, so many people will overlook the exact same concept and to where I think we need to start saying, if you can't do it inside the house, <laughs> then you can't do it in the short grass, then you can't do it in yes. the tall grass. Because I can't begin to tell everybody in a way that they they fully comprehend to where just just those reps in and around the food bowl at feeding time just the amount of reps that that you build up in a crew over letting the dog go you know wait at the the door threshold before you let them out you know the kennel how you interact in and out of the kennel is a direct reflection of what you're going to end up with the kennel in, in at the truck it's amazing how like you talk about this people hear it but you go into their house and that dog is literally crashing through the drywall and they're yeah. like, oh, he's such a crackhead in here. But outside, he's awesome. It's like, well, I mean, why is he doing that outside where are, you could make the argument there's actually more temptation, more distractions, more opportunity for that dog to just cut loose and go do it. Why, why is it an, not an issue out there, but it's an issue in your controlled 
daily environment. Yes. Yes. That's, and that's a great point. Cause we run into that so many times I took. So kind of back to the obedience side of things and doing it slow and taking your time with it. Big thing with us is we don't like vocal dogs. I'm not a vocal dog guy mm. when it comes to hunting with them. Um, that's another big thing when it comes to our breeding program. So with our young puppies, we like to take our time and introduce them to birds because sometimes not trying to point out things, but I mean, um, I've seen a couple of dogs come through NAVDA where they come through NAVDA and they do their duck shirt search and they are just plumb crazy for hunting for ducks. And their, their vocalness is starting to chirp up. They're starting to get a little squeaky out there. Um, we've really found too, that the introduction to birds, the speed of how you get out in that field also really helps that. So one thing that we try to do with all of our young dogs is again, match their speed because we've had, we hosted an AKC field trial or hunt test out here um, this past season. And so many dogs came over that line, just pulling at the lead, coming out of the truck hot. And just like you're saying, that's a direct reflection of the kennel. That's a direct reflection of the home, meaning that dog knows that they can get away with things. We were having, because of the just proper timing, I'm not even going to call it myself, just proper timing, our dogs come out of the truck under control to the line quietly. They sit, they wait because of place training. They're sitting at the line. One mark flies, it plops down. We do tons of denials as puppies on place. They're sitting steady. They're not making a chirp, and you send them. Comes back, second bird, send them. Big little, big things come from obedience. We do a lot of European pheasant style shoots out here too. The European style shoots, that's huge. I mean, just people are so big right now. There's a guy on Instagram, Slingly Gun Dogs. He's all over the place right now. He's got 10 Labradors around him and he calls each one by name and they go pick up a bird and come back. And it's a really cool thing to watch. And people are always amazed how these dogs do that. Listening to him talk, listening, figuring out kind of how a lot of these guys are doing it over the years, a lot of it's pack mentality, A. So finding great dogs, once they kind of get their obedience done and they understand that this is how things operate, that pack mentality sets in. The second thing that that is mainly is denials and obedience. A lot of birds come out of the ground that you're not going to be able to chase. You're not going to be able to hunt. So that dog's got to be steady pointers too. You know, they can't be chasing birds into the next field. So when it comes to obedience, we really hammer that as puppies because up to about eight months, again, with a with a really well-trained and balanced dog where you're letting them get into the field, also putting a little level of control on them, you're not going to run into those issues. So if you take your time in the house with the obedience, you take your time then into the field with the obedience and you take those proper steps, man, you're going to have a really, really fine dog. So keep them close like we were saying. Keep them in the house. I tell so many clients that they can't do it next to you, they can't do it 100 yards away from you um, because – if they can't do it here, they know for sure you can't touch them out there um, with or without any collar, you know. So teach it close, stretch it out. Um, and that's that's a huge thing for a lot of people is just take your time, run obedience. The best dogs that come through our program and through all programs come from the owners who take the dog home and then take their time once that dog gets home. Um, and you just see that progression take place over a course of maybe two months where now that dog is doing everything that they wanted it to do and everything that we taught it to do and they're ready to hunt for years to come because then you're just building that relationship with your dog because it's your dog. It's not my dog. That's the other thing. A lot of guys will send dogs back for tune-ups. Your dog hits my property and normally the tune-up's done because that dog knows me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they've hunted with me so much. 
that's like I, I call him the next day. And it's like he's healing. He's hunting. He's there's not a problem. The problem is at home. Um, so and, I think it's you, just normally they need more time. Right. And you hit it kind of exactly where I was wanting to go is, you know, people, we say it on here all the time and, and people repeat it all the time, but I don't think that they're fully like that. They're not paying attention to what they're actually saying in regards to like, if we put the impact on associative learning, if it is as powerful as what everybody thinks to your point, like dogs are learning by association much more from just the overall environment than anything else. They are location driven to your point. You know, these dogs have to do things perfect five times before moving on to another place. Right. And that's where you kind of generalize the behavior. You teach the behavior, then you got to kind of generalize it and to where they create that behavior in all places, regardless whether that's in the field, the house, tractor supply, Lowe's, wherever the airplane that you're talking about. Yes, sir. And so, if people will recognize that they understand that, but then, you know, I'll get, I'll get a a message or a video on Instagram or Patreon. Somebody like, look, I'm trying to do this place training in the house and it's just not going right. And you, you know, in the background, you're hearing Paw Patrol in the background (laughs) and there's three kids running amok and, and their wives doing laundry and and they're trying to sit in there with a clicker and a ball and a, and a Kato board and all this stuff. And and they're getting frustrated and it's like, look, you have to set that environment you know it i agree yes the whole the the entire purpose of that is to create the dog to where it doesn't care that paw patrol is rolling and these dogs are running around but you can't teach it in that setting you have to control the environment and i think that's what uh teaching this stuff and getting the reps inside the house if you actually control the environment of when and where and how i think that that ultimately has more power and and applicability of why it stretches into the field more so than anything else so it's you know it when people are saying yeah but i struggle to get those reps inside the house well if it's not the right time don't force it go put them up in the crate keep them you know keep them separated it is to me it's not reps just for the sake of reps it's quality reps that you're looking yes yes yeah we just had a dog that's a great point because we just had a dog so we're teaching we got a couple of really great kennel staff down there we're teaching some of them how to go through some processes with dogs so i mean hold conditioning force fetch that's a huge process for pointing dogs and retrievers um of course retrievers so we had just yesterday one of, one of the girls finished teaching a dog how to do hold conditioning so i said Let, let's go see it so we went up to the main field we ran a dog dog came back did it perfectly we're done walk away i said tomorrow get the dog out maybe one or two walk away always low reps high high consist or yeah high consistency low reps really high quality um that's what we're looking for because once we kind of build that pattern and once a dog dogs want to please so once they understand that you know we did it right and you just show them a couple days in a row it really starts rolling and then we just change spots change locations um and then it becomes a, a really known little thing for them so just like you're saying i mean really high quality and just don't do don't overtrain. That's the other thing. A lot of guys we find they'll call and they'll be like, Oh, I'm training six days a week. Some of my best dogs, of course you got to again, match your dog. Some dogs want to work harder, just like kids. You can't, some kids, you can't take them out on the football field and tell them we're going to throw football seven days a week or they're going to get burnt out tomorrow. Um, some kids you can, 
some kids you can go five days a week, whatever it may be. So with dogs, same mentality. I like to find a dog. Some of my best dogs are four days a week, 20 minutes a day. You know what I mean? Set them up for success and, and just hammer and keep on rocking and rolling. And over months, that's a lot of time spent with that dog because then you're also reinforcing that obedience and the core principles of all dog training in the house every day. So once you kind of have that aspect done, the field work becomes easy and then you're just pushing through um, and you're not spending that much time compared to what people really believe you should be um, because guys that overtrain, you see dogs get burned out at times. You see them get tired of it. And that's the last thing we want to see because big thing for us too is again, having fun, making sure that our owners having fun, making sure their family's having fun and making sure that dog's having fun um, and making tons of memories out in the field. Yeah. And, and ultimately uh, I think you can just sum that entire thing up as creating that relationship. Of- yes. It's dog dependent. Each dog's going to be different, and it, it it full circles goes back to why you like to have the owners kind of show up at different stages throughout the training. Is it not only skin in the game? It, it, it's aware the owners are aware of how you guys are handling this. But again, it, we we just recently went through this on a on a previous episode where rules without relationship it it, it creates a headache, right? You, you, yes. it's, it's unfair to the dog. So you have to have that relationship and that bond between human and dog. And if you're unfairly just requiring this, this standard and you're training eight, eight days, you know, seven days a week, uh, eight times a day. And sometimes to your point, you just have to take a break. Just take a breather. I mean, it gets overwhelming for a, the trainer, it gets overwhelming for the dog. And then when you're in the house, you can still, you, when that dog gets burned out and you're in the house too, you slowly start seeing that home obedience start trickle away too, right. where they're just kind of saying, they're like, you know, man, like I'm trying, you know, one of those things. And, and they kind of get a little demoralized and, and that's not something you ever want to see. So keeping it fun, keeping it always energetic, keeping it new and exciting back to the five different spots. I mean, always be changing up your training locations. Um, so for the house, I mean, we hammer down, in the home, we hammer down. Um, we have a pro shop here. We go down to the pro shop, Lowe's, Home Depot, anywhere you can get around people. We have some of our guys who will take dogs out, and they're, they're involved with schools. So they'll take the dogs out, and they'll go into the, into the classroom and let kids pet on them and everything like that. That is huge as well, just teaching that dog again, sit steady, let people come by. Um, you don't need to be barking. You don't need to be moving around. Once you're sitting steady, people will come up and start petting on you. Um, so – just having those rules, like you're saying, good fences make great neighbors. You know what I mean? Um, having those parameters there. And as long as everybody's sticking to them and and you're rocking and rolling, someone down, a good friend down in Wildrose, Gunner's name, he's a trainer down there still. He told me this a while ago. And his big thing was if you set a dog up at year one, which is the truest thing, you set a dog up at year one, year two is going to be a little bit of a headache because you're going to be fixing things out of year one that's in the field. But then from there on out, as long as you push through that little bit of a headache time period where you're – again, I wouldn't be sending a dog in for tune-ups during that time period. You work that out with yourself in the field. You do, you gun dog it yourself per se. Next 10, 11 years, man, you're going to have such a relationship with that dog where they want to do nothing but please you. And that, again, is the end goal for every dog guy out there, I think, um, is just having that relationship because that's the other thing. I'm Trainers, I mean we got – I have seven dogs, I think. Um Right around there. I got seven dogs. And a lot of people, they got one or two. 
you know? So those valuable moments, I mean, take the dog to family events, take them to Christmas. I mean, we, we take our dogs all, we took actually a training dog to a family Christmas this past year. Um, just cause that dog needed time around people and the owner had chaos at their house. So I was like, you know, we'll do it here. So just taking a dog around different family environments, um, is also huge. Uh, wheelchairs. We really tried to take some of the AKC program as well for the good canine. Um, they kind of get, I think it's a little bit of a, a funny little program, but they have some really great things in there when it comes to wheelchairs, uh, people in walkers, things like that. Um, so we'll take dogs through that program as well, just to kind of get them really used to being around different things and different environments. Yeah. And that's something that all dogs go through because some people, some programs, you got to kind of tell them, Hey, this is what we want. But again, when you come through our program, our goal is to make that something that, you know, it just kind of, it's part of it. Absolutely. Part of it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, yeah, you got to keep that relationship and, and ultimately, you know, you, you brought up, you got to keep it fresh. You got to keep it new and exciting. Cause if you're bored, the dogs are going to get bored, but kind of, kind of in the spirit of, of keeping things fresh and new and exciting, uh, you recently, you know, you called me and you reached out and, yes, sir. Uh, and I think this is a, a good time. Let's go ahead and, and kind of touch on what you invited me up there this upcoming, uh, September, I think we decided on for, yeah, uh, for a absolutely. nice, unique and, and different style of an event. Absolutely. So this coming September, we're going to have you up here. Um, we're pretty excited about it. So we're going to host an event together this coming September where we're going to do a weekend event, um, Pretty much we're going to get 10 handlers out here. Our goal every year is to get 10 handlers out here where we've got birds. We've got different training setups for you where Nick and I are going to sit down um, for this seminar. We're going to try to really – everybody that signs up for it, our goal is to kind of call, get to know them a little bit, kind of understand where their dog's at, mainly for pointing and versatile dogs. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to try to really build a cool weekend out for people where Nick and I are going to handle the training. We're going to handle the seminar. Um, and we're going to walk everybody kind of through where their dog's at. So it's going to be mainly for dogs that are already holding point, um, have been out in the field, but, you know, somewhat still green. Um, owners are still learning. So we want to take each dog, each person, meet them kind of where they're at and then spend a weekend with you um, out in the field where you can, A, see a bunch of dogs out there working because we're going to have the other handlers there with their dogs. Um, so you can learn by just watching, but you can also learn – by letting us kind of meet you where you're at with your pup and helping you kind of expand your, your training knowledge. Yeah. And, you want to add anything into that? I mean, please oh, do. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm excited to do this. You know, when you first reached out and, and inquired about this, you know, I, I think I responded like, I mean, absolutely. I'm interested. Uh, but I think it was very important to be just completely upfront and honest with you that, you know, I am not a pro trainer is again, back to what we were talking about earlier is I've had the fortune of sitting in a classroom for four and a half years. Right. So yes, sir. I, I've more or less kind of accrued this, this, uh, foundational level knowledge and in a lot of different perspectives that I think that, uh, what I continue to try and do is piece together these common threads, the common elements between all of these approaches and methods and, and really, you know, just kind of get to the core principles and foundation level. And I think that that's where we landed on what we wanted to do with this event is this, this isn't going to come out. You're not going to come out here and you're not going to get preached on how to do anything, you know, the Smith method or the West method yes, or the standing stone method. Like it is truly, 
no matter which way you're training or philosophy you're going to, like everything that we discuss and we talk about is just going to be at a core dog level, right? It's, it's just yes. going to be at a very principled level and a common thread level. And so, uh, don't be afraid that if, if you've, you know, gone through a, a, a Rick or Ronnie seminar, don't be afraid. Like we're not going to come up there and try and, and, and talk you off the woe post. Right. And then, you know, you know, I think it's so important where we all, you know, every segment of the world that we're in, it's like, it kind of develops these own little niches and and communities, which is kind of cool in a lot of ways. It's how everybody prefers to learn. But I think that there's a lot, there's a lot there to learn from other people, uh, and, and other viewpoints and perspectives. And I think that's where we landed and, and why this doing this type of event was intriguing for myself anyway. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So it's going to be the September 6th, 7th and 8th. Um, and it's just going to be a really good weekend. We're going to do up here at Griffin Howe where we've got, we've got lodging. So if people want to come up and spend the weekend, they can do that. They can also stay locally. Um, but we've got, it's the largest continuous piece of property up here in the state of New Jersey. So we've got plenty of upland fields, plenty of birds, um, and just like Nick's saying, it's going to be pretty neat because Nick doesn't call himself a professional, a professional trainer, um, but Nick knows what he's talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Um, so it's going to be a really fun weekend just to kind of sit down there. And and instead of focusing on, let's say, hunt tests, you know, we're focused on getting people out there hunting with their dogs and and building those memories. So finding you guys and finding exactly where, where you guys are at with the dogs is going to be a lot of fun for us to kind of be able to sit down and and match a program and build that out. So Friday night, we're going to try to do a little bonfire where Nick and I will be there, um, do a little meet and greet, um, hang out with everybody. Then Nick and I will probably sit down afterwards once we have a good understanding because we'll try to call everybody prior to the event as well. And then Saturday, Sunday, we'll dive right into it. We're going to be working dogs out in the field, um, being really hands-on with everybody that comes through the program where you get to know us. Um, and as well, we, we really are excited to kind of get to know where your dogs are at. And then by hopefully Sunday, everybody's taking something from a what we've shared about their dog shared about other people's dogs because the other cool thing that you said you wanted to keep all the dogs on a little bit of a chain gang out there which would be kind of fun um a lot of seminars i found they don't want to do that just because they want to have a lot of classroom time and we want to have a lot of time out in the field um where we see you know the exact flaws we're dealing with or the exact really great things we're dealing with because some of these dogs will definitely get out there and impress us um you know, and some of the dogs will just kind of have to meet and we'll, we'll be there to work with everybody and push them through and, and make it happen so that you can go home and kind of keep on gun dogging it yourself and rocking and rolling with our programs and, and hearing Nick and hearing myself and following what we got to say and, and what we got to share with you. Exactly. Yeah. It was really important that we don't do just classroom or just field work. It's a healthy mix of both, uh, yes. as well as, I'm a big component, especially go, kind of going from seminar and clinic to seminar and clinic. Uh, I've, I've been to ones to where it's like you have one dog out there and everybody's kind of in their own little camps doing whatever. Uh, but I feel like the ones that really kind of everybody's learning from other people's dogs and their examples and everybody kind of sees how everybody else does things. Uh, yes, sir. It, you're going to come away with a, a much uh, impactful lesson 
learn through that experience. And, you know, I say that that's the biggest benefit to any kind of training club or, or training day for an organization or something is, is learning from the community, learning from, you may only learn what you don't want to do, but you also might learn what you want to do. And, uh, but that's why it's important to me. It's just like, we're going to come out there. All the dogs are going to be involved. All the handlers are going to get plenty of time. And, uh, we're going to have some really fun back and forth discussions about all this stuff. And, uh, I'm excited to do it. I think it's going to be kind of a unique little, uh, event. It's going to be fun to be some long days. We'll start each day with some breakfast and we'll get out there in the field. We'll work all day and we'll have lunch, um, get out there in the afternoon, work all afternoon. So it's going to be some long days. It's going to be a lot of fun. So the best way that we'll get this going and what we'll do is we'll do some signups. So we'll, what we'll do is we'll put out a little something with Nick and myself. Um, and then I'll get Nick all the contact information so that you guys can just reach out to Nick or gun or Griffin, how gun dogs. Um, and we'll get you guys all signed up and taken care of. And then, like I said, Nick or I will reach out probably both of us. Um, and we'll just kind of get to know you a little bit and then build this program around where all the handlers are at. So if you got a versatile dog that's somewhat in that area of, you know, been out in the field, hunted already, um, has a lot of natural ability. Um, let us know and come on after the weekend. Cause it's definitely gonna be a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to do it. And, uh, by the time this comes out, we'll have the, the link and all that stuff down here in the show notes. So just Perfect. look down there and, and click on that. But, uh, Ben, you know, I'm excited. We're able to line this up. I appreciate you reaching out and even just kind of inviting me to this, but getting to know you a little bit better and just talking dogs for here for a little bit. I'm even more excited to get up there and do something uh, September, man. That's going to be like right before hunting season. So I'm going to be super amped up, ready to rock and roll then. Well, good. It's a good time for the seminar too. Cause I mean, yeah, just like you said, right before hunting season, we'll get everybody ready to get out there in the field. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, Nick, again, thank you so much for having us on here. And then um, when you get up here, we're really looking forward to working dogs with you and everybody coming out for that weekend. Absolutely. Well, Ben, I am, uh, I'm closing out all my episodes with the same question for everybody now. So uh, all right, I, I got to ask you, what is one thing that I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh boy, that's a hard one. Um, I guess the only thing I guess I would like, to, only thing I guess would be just telling you, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty proud of my own dogs i'm pretty proud of the pups that we've lined up so i mean i guess sharing a little bit about them would be the only thing that i haven't done um as you guys follow along with us we're on instagram griffin how gun dogs um we highlight all of our dogs again our dogs are our programs built around our dogs without them we don't have anything so we've got a really great little lineup all of our females are nice small little labs and we've got a really really amazing setter up here named stella so, I mean, follow along. Uh, we've got Daisy, Ruby, Sammy, Poppy, Raven, Stella. We've got a whole handful of pups, and we really try to highlight each one. So as you guys follow along, definitely stay up with it. And um, looking forward to having everybody and getting to know everybody for that weekend. Absolutely. Well, everybody, I hope yeah, you uh, enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully you get excited about this event and reach out to us. This episode was presented by Final Rise. Onyx Hunt, Standing Stone Supply, and Upland Gun Company. Uh, Ben, it was great getting to know you. I'm looking forward to the event, and uh, we'll we'll definitely be chatting here soon. Excellent, buddy. Have a great day. Thank you again. 
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and again year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.